Father, I again am so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the people you gather together here uh, week after week, people that are uh, just desiring to hear from you, uh, to hear from your word, to learn, to grow in their faith, uh, opportunities to share in worship and share in fellowship with one another. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm always amazed and always blessed uh, to hear the stories of ministry that happens amongst the people in our seats. Lord, I'm thankful for the ministries that are uh, very informal, those ministries that uh, make things happen without any organization or specific leadership, but just people loving one another. Lord, I'm also thankful for the formal ministries. I thank you this morning for our men's ministry and uh, for Chris Heddens and his leadership over that and uh, the various men that teach Bible studies. Lord, I thank you for the men's conference we had yesterday. And of course, I thank you for the stake that we had as well. But uh, Lord, just what a blessing to hear men singing together and to hear men uh, fellowshipping and discussing their life and the word and praying. Lord, it's a a huge blessing for me as a pastor to see those things. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, the missionaries that we get to support, that we get to send out. Thank you for Jerry and Kathy Singh of One Way Evangelistic Ministries and Uh, just uh, how powerful their ministry has been in sharing the gospel in different places around the world. It seems like every time they come back from a mission trip, we hear of another hundred people that are in your kingdom. Lord, it's it's powerful to recognize what they're able to do and then what you're going to do with those people generationally after that, uh, how it's going to change the culture of the places they live, how it's going to change uh, the landscape of the Christian kingdom that you're building here on earth. Well, in all these different places, there will be people calling your name. Well, Father, we pray also for other churches in town. I pray for a good friend of mine, Pastor Tom Perea, over at uh, Restoration Fellowship. Lord, it's a blessing to be able to pray with him every week and other pastors and to see the ministry that you're doing through his church. Lord, I pray that you would encourage him. He's one of the, the guys that's been here for a number of years. And uh, it's a blessing to see that stability in the pulpit, to see that stability in the church. Well, Lord, I would pray that you would encourage his church through him. Uh, Father, that his church would encourage him as well, uh, that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of your son, Jesus Christ, that they would comprehend more and more uh, just how much it is you love them. Uh, Father, that they would be able to expand the kingdom here in Cheyenne. Now, Lord, this morning as we get into the word, we want to, as best we can, represent uh, your heart for the idea of being disciples. Uh, Show us what that looks like and then how we can practically put it into practice uh, here in our church. Uh, Lord, so that we can uh, do the thing you asked us to do, that we can go and make disciples. Uh, Lord, we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Open your Bibles, if you don't mind, to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring one to you so you can follow along with us. Uh, If you get a moment, you might want to pray for the folks on the worship team, just having some tough stuff going on. Doug was... uh, having some stuff this morning and decided to stick it out with us, thankfully, because I didn't want to lead worship and nobody else wanted me to lead worship. So uh, pray for his, his stomach to settle and just some other hard things going on uh, with the folks on the worship team this morning. So just be willing to pray for them if you would, please. Um, all right, so we have been talking about the discipleship blueprint that uh, we kind of designed, we put together for the purpose of helping us to take the idea of discipleship 
uh, to a greater extent in our church, to move beyond what we always do, uh, preaching, which is important. I think we do it well. I think we've done a good job as a church on gathering together on Sunday mornings and worshiping and preaching. Uh, But what we want to really do is try to take our church to kind of that next step of maturity, a next level uh, of how we try to accomplish the will of God in the city of Cheyenne. And a big piece of that uh, is to uh, help teach and train one another to recognize that the real ministry that happens in the kingdom of God happens off of this platform and oftentimes outside of this building. That the things that I'm teaching to you are good, but what's even more powerful is if those things get a hold of you and you're able to take those things out into the world with you to teach your friends and your family, to be able to invest uh, in uh, people that you would love to see hear the gospel, you'd love to see them into the kingdom. This is to kind of reorient our church to the mindset or the idea that even though I'm the pastor, uh, you guys are the priests in the seats, that each one of you has been gifted by God for the purpose of edifying and building up his kingdom. And so that's how we came up with this idea of the discipleship blueprint. Um, I, I often will admit to people that I think it has a lot to do with me getting older, number one. And then number two, it has a lot to do with me finishing the Bible a few weeks ago to be able to have gone all the way verse by verse to the Bible. Uh, I think to myself how great that is, except that was only a piece of what I intended to do in ministry. What I've really always envisioned our church being is a church that exists not just on Sunday morning, but one that multiplies its efforts, that people come in here, they get trained, and they go out and do ministry. And so this is really trying to bring those two things together. Uh, There's going to be a day that I'm not going to be here anymore, and I hope the church that I hand off to somebody is laser-focused on the idea of discipleship, of really training one another for these purposes. So uh, we drew from the great commission that Jesus gave us, his last words before he ascended into heaven, this idea of being disciples who make disciples. And so Jesus had the disciples come to him, and then he told them to go therefore and make disciples, which he described very simply, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so that's the very simple idea that is behind all of this. What we then wanted to do is to put this on a church level. And so we came up with really four areas that we as a church, I think, can focus on to help kind of multiply or replicate some of these ideas of discipleship. I know you're like, Sean, you've said this every Sunday. You're right. It's easier for me to prepare if I say the same things every week. So... Um, But that first area of just knowing Jesus, that that first area that we put there is the simplest thing we do is when we gather together, we're learning more about who our Savior is. We're growing in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. Of course, that happens through church attendance. Uh, But our goal there really is that people would come to the place of being able to make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, to be able to be baptized into the kingdom of God. Uh, But what we want to do then is also kind of take that to a, a next level. And so organizing around the idea of if we're doing a good job with our sermons, then our sermons should actually be resonating throughout the week. And the way that we would like to see that happen is that what we'll be doing is preparing you in advance by giving you the passage so that you can spend the whole week reading through and going through the passage yourself so that God can already be speaking to you about the passage when you get to church on Sunday and you hear the sermon, 
you'll be thinking to yourself, well, it's about time you figured that out, Pastor Sean. I figured that out last Tuesday. I've already got there. God's already beginning to speak to you, but it now takes that Sunday morning moment and it makes it a little bit more powerful because you've already invested into it. Uh, another thing that we want to do with that, and this will be kind of a slow thing that we're really going to try to slowly work our way into, uh, is the idea of putting every age on the same page. So slowly, uh, probably with the oldest kids first, and then maybe work our way down slowly over the next couple of years, having the Sunday school classes doing the same section of, pa- of Scripture that the, the church is, so that when parents leave church on Sunday morning, they can go have their Sunday afternoon lunch like they always do with their family, if that's a possible thing, and they can have a conversation about this passage with their kids that they've all been reading for the whole week, they've each had their own lesson at their own level, and now you can have a discussion in your home. It builds discipleship right into your home. It allows people uh, to grow in a very simple way. Another thing we see all throughout Scripture is that Jesus gave us the example of serving other people. So that's what we want to be. We want to be servants, but we're not looking at that as just a way to fill up our volunteer ministry at this church. We're looking more that servanthood should be an attitude that believers have. And so it's not going to be just about church. It's going to be in your home. It's going to be out in the world. And so we're going to try to encourage that idea of service as a lifestyle not as a ministry you sign up for. That may lead you to sign up for certain ministries, but just as a lifestyle to be thinking to yourself, how can I serve the people around me? And why would I do that? Jesus told us, I've set that example for you. Now go and wash one another's feet. He gave us the example to follow. Uh, Today we'll talk specifically about uh, the issue of discipleship, and then the week after that, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so you might want to mark that down the end of the book of Acts there, but Acts chapter 2, I'm not the end of the book of Acts, the end of Acts chapter 2. You might want to read through Acts chapter 2 this week to prepare yourself for next week, but we'll talk about the issue of sharing your life together in groups and in meals and in prayer. So uh, here's where I'd like to start. Matthew, we're actually going to start here in Matthew chapter 4, and then we'll get into Matthew chapter 5. Uh, But this is what the passage says. Let's start here in verse 23. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those who were suffering with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And then when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began teaching them. So this is the picture that I want you to see. Jesus was very active in ministry to the crowds. And everywhere he went, there was this ministry to the crowds. But his disciples went beyond the crowd and followed up after him in these groups of what I would call more of a discipleship setting. Uh, The beauty of that is, and you may have noticed this, in a sermon setup, when I'm preaching to the crowds, everybody is sitting facing me, 
their mouths are mostly shut. And sometimes I tell jokes and then other people get going, but it's a whole different thing. But in a general sense, you're sitting, you're listening, you're doing your best to be engaged. Hopefully I'm keeping your attention, but if not, you do have your grocery list to make, so that's good. You have time to kind of work through those various things. But it's, it's very much a sit and receive type thing when you're dealing with the crowds. However, when you move into a smaller setting, you now have the opportunity to take the thing that you've learned and ask the questions you can't ask during a sermon. I mean, you can ask them, but I'll likely ignore you. If your hand goes up, I'll just think, oh, look, they're praising Jesus. This is awesome. Woo! That's kind of what happened. Or waving at me. That might be another option. But I'm not likely to think, oh, they have a question. I should stop the sermon. That's just not the way sermons work. When you have the crowds gathered together, it's not convenient to have a, a, a big time of Q&A, of question and answer, uh, or of challenging one another. One of the great things that would happen uh, would be that Jesus would talk to his disciples afterwards, but then he would challenge them with something more. He would give them specific instructions for them how they're to respond. It's taking what you're hearing in the sermon and now making it more specific to your life by answering your questions, by getting some direction specifically for you. That's kind of the idea. It allows you to really confront yourself with the Word of God. You can do that in this setting, but it's more powerful when you have that give and take. So what I would like us to see, uh, the, I like, what I'd like, uh, like to see us doing is being more intentional about gathering together in these smaller pockets of group for the purpose of building up and encouraging one another in our faith. And again, I'm giving you the outline because I'm giving you the sermon every week. You already know what you're supposed to discuss. You've read it for the whole week. You've now heard a sermon on it. And whether you're doing this in your home or with a group of friends or another group of family members, co-workers, wherever you're doing this at Christian Chicken over there at Chick-fil-A or wherever it is that you like to gather together with other people, that is the sanctified chicken. That's the good stuff. Wherever it is you like to gather together, coffee shops, the break room at work, you now have a section of scripture that you understand because you read it, because you've heard a sermon on it, and you now have an opportunity to interact with other people about it. One of the great things that uh, happened for me in ministry, a number of years ago, I had a small group at my house, and I decided I didn't have time to prepare another Bible study, and so what I did is my small group study leading into the week would always cover the passage that I was about to preach the next Sunday. This is why it was great. When I read a passage, I've read it many, many times. I already know basically what it says. I'm not looking at it with fresh eyes. I'm looking at it as somebody who's studied it out over and over. So I would get to these home group fellowships and we would sit down and I would read the passage, zero preparation. I didn't study in advance. I did nothing for these. I would read the passage and I'd go, what do you think about that? And then people would just start talking. And they would ask questions. And I would think to myself, oh, you, you don't know what that word means in a theological sense? Well, I do. Why doesn't everybody? Because you just have these different experiences. So it allowed that give and take. I saw so much growth not only in those folks, but I even saw growth in my ability to prepare the sermons. 
I knew now the things I needed to talk about, the things that I was just reading past. It was all brought to my attention because we were able to have that discussion. It's a powerful opportunity for us to really engage with the text in a completely different fashion. So what I want us to do is be the kind of disciples who are like the disciples who followed Jesus. You see this in Scripture here where Jesus taught them specifically. Uh, another thing I love is oftentimes Jesus would teach a parable to the crowds and his disciples would be like, Amen, brother Jesus, preach it. Testify. And then after, after that little lesson was over, they would get together with Jesus as they were walking someplace else and they would go, Now what on earth were you talking about? I did not understand a word of that. You have sowers and you have seeds and you have pearls of great price, but what I don't understand is what any of it means. And then Jesus would go, oh, well, this is what that means. It allowed you to take the things you didn't understand and come to a greater understanding of them. It's not complicated. It's not difficult but I think sometimes we sit through a sermon, we heard the sermon, we might even get the gist of the sermon, and we kind of think, okay, I'm done with that now. No, the real power comes is after that, when you try to truly understand not just what the passage means, but now what it means for your life. How am I going to apply this? How am I going to live this? How am I going to take from this passage the marching orders that Jesus has for my life? It's... It's not revolutionary, it's not crazy, it's not hard, it's just not been practiced in such a way that it's really been encouraged in churches, particularly our church, I would say, recently. I have always had a very um, disorganized, or as some people would say it in a nicer way, an organic view of ministry that I will just teach the Word and the Word will work in your life and all of these things will just not magically happen, but supernaturally nonetheless happen. But what I've grown to understand is it's okay to put just a few instructions out there, just a couple of guardrails to keep people between the lines. It's not the end of the road to do those types of things. It's actually quite helpful. It can kind of move people in the appropriate direction. It can speed up the way that that organic ministry works. Uh, in the same way, I would say gardening is very organic, but you still garden in tilled ground and in rows. You do it in a specific way to make it work better. Now, you can literally just put seeds in the ground, and oftentimes you will get that thing that's growing that will happen. I've been waiting for years to see this happen. I used to when I was trying to be healthy. That's out the window now. But I used to every morning on the work, am I going to get arrested for this? Let me see. How many police officers do we have? All right, I think I'm good. In the morning, on the way to work, every morning I would eat an apple. And every morning on the way to work, as I was finished and I'm driving and I've got this apple core in my hand and I think, well, I don't want this in my car all day. So I live out on dirt roads and so I would just roll down the window and toss the apple out the window and a couple of months after doing that, I thought, in 10 years, I'm going to drive by here and there's going to be an apple grove in that ditch right there. Now, luckily, I'm eating uh, store-bought fruit, so it's been irradiated to the point where nothing's growing. But, but that's kind of how I viewed ministry, is I threw some stuff out there and we'll see what's grown. What we want to do is be more intentional, more specific. So what I'm asking you guys to do is to not just hear the sermon but think then how I can become or how you can become 
um, a replicator or a repeater of the sermon, to take the things that you learned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and then share those with other people. That's what I would really like to see our church become, that what is taught here is duplicated or replicated, not just in CDs or online, but in your personal life with your friends, with your family. And I think that's where uh, a next step for our ministry can become quite powerful. Now, I'm going to take us through just a handful of different verses that discuss this issue, because uh, what I want you to see is this is what the Scriptures talks about. All throughout the Scriptures, you see this idea of these relationship-based teaching times where it's friends and family, where it's mentors and mentees, although they wouldn't call them that, they would call them disciples. But just this idea where these people were always gathering together with the intent of growing individual or a handful of people for the purpose of, of growing them up in their faith. So I'm going to have you turn now to Titus chapter 2. This is uh, one of my favorite ones. Uh, if you ever were wanting to start a men's ministry or a women's ministry, or if you're leading a men's ministry and a women's ministry, I see a married couple over there that does that. Titus 2 is the example. Titus 2 is where you would get, this would be your example, right? Now, I'm going to mostly pick on the women here for a minute, uh, just because I don't want to have to read all of Titus chapter 2, so that you can understand that this, uh, it goes across uh, categories to men and women here. Uh, but in Titus chapter 2, it says this in verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, not to somebody else's husband, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And then verse 6, likewise we urge the young men. In other words, in the same pattern of the older women encouraging the younger women, likewise we do with the men. In that same pattern, the older men should be encouraging the younger men. And essentially what it's saying is encouraging them to live a godly lifestyle. The way that happens is with intentional time, older folks with younger folks. And I would say that that is not supposed to be necessarily about age. It can be. That's certainly a very natural way that happens. But I would say that happens with age of your faith. That's where the real clear growth goes. I know a lot of people that didn't come to Christ until they were 70. They might have a lot to learn from a 30-year-old who came to Christ at 16. So somebody who is older in the faith, investing in somebody who is younger in the faith, is a very powerful model of multiplying the ministry that happens in a church. Now, of course, they're going to learn a lot of that stuff through sermons, but it's more powerful when then you can take it into your own life. Uh, in youth ministry, uh, it was a very simple idea that we would always talk about in youth ministry. It was the idea of bring somebody with you. And so uh, I, was, I was reading this youth ministry book that was going to tell us how to do youth ministry. And I love how he said, to him, youth ministry is all about building dog houses. Which I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't want to build a dog house. I only have one dog. I only need one house. So why would I want to build multiple of them? But he was, he was relating it to a story where he really caught on to how youth ministry worked best. 
And it was when there was a troubled kid in the youth group. He didn't know what to do with him, but he knew his wife wanted a doghouse built that weekend and he didn't have time to help that kid. And so he basically said to the kid, hey, I'm building a doghouse at my house this weekend. Do you want to help? And this young guy ends up spending the day with this older guy, more mature in the faith, as he builds a doghouse. And the kid learned what it was like to hit yourself with a hammer and to not use curse words. He learned what it's like to measure twice, cut once. But in these very simple but relational-based applications, he had the opportunity to disciple this kid. As he saw how he interacted with his family, this young man learned how to interact in a godly fashion with his family. Well, I would tell you this, uh, that in our church, we have a treasure of wealth stored up in longtime believers who can change your life. All but one person in this church has somebody younger than them. I don't know who that oldest person is. I don't know who the one who's been in the faith the longest. I don't know who that person is. It's not a contest. But all of us have somebody who can invest in us where that very simple thing of teaching us. You know, sometimes we ask, you know, how come young men don't know how to be men? Because old men didn't teach them. Because old men just shook their head and said, oh, those silly kids. Hey, old man, take him fishing. Hey, old man, teach him how to change the oil in the car. And then he'll tell you it's not worth it because I can get it done for 30 bucks down the road. So you can both learn. It's okay. Go through that. You who would maybe look at this younger generation and say, oh, I can't believe how ungodly they act. Teach them to act godly. You who have figured it out, you who have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, wore it out, and threw it away already, invest in them. Those older people in the faith investing in those younger people. If you're looking for a formal way to do that, by the way, American Heritage Girls and Trail Life, those two groups raising up this next generation of younger people, they could use mentors. You can get invested if you need a very official way to do that. If you want an unofficial way, find the kids in your neighborhood whose parents aren't involved in their life. And just say, hey, can I bring your daughter over? Wives say this. Can I bring your daughter over and teach her how to bake bread today? Or teach her how to take it out of the freezer and let it rise and stick it in the oven? You know, you know what I'm talking about. But just that very simple interaction can lead then to spiritual growth, spiritual conversations, and spiritual discussions. I love the picture. It's powerful that those who are older in the faith would encourage those who are younger in the faith, men and women. I do like the idea of keeping it males with males and females with females. I think there's uh, some important things that happen there, that there are things about how a man sees the world that might be different than how a woman sees the world, and it can be important to kind of pass those views on. Uh, you wonder why we have a gender-confused society? Because we've been afraid to talk about gender for so long, or Maybe not afraid, maybe just a little bit too lazy to. But man, we can really build into the people who are in our lives if we would just view it in that way. Uh, there are so many Christians 
who just don't know how powerful their life and their testimony is or could be to somebody else. I think all of us kind of have this, uh, this certain level built within us of thinking, well, I haven't quite got to that point yet where I'm living it out well enough to really teach other people to live it. But what you'll understand is you're farther than somebody. You're farther along than somebody. You not be, may not be at the top, that's okay. But you're farther along than somebody. You can tell them how you got from where they are to where you are. And what's great is as you're teaching them how to get from where they are to where you are, you often take the next step in that process as well. It's really kind of a powerful thing. It's this idea of taking what you know and entrusting it to other people and it replicates or multiplies, multiplicates, is the way I'm going to go with that. That's the two words, multiply, replicate, put together. We're now doing multiplicates. <laughs> Shuns. Um, okay, maybe I'll just move on. Second Timothy chapter 2, another great example of this. Uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, we have the Apostle Paul. Uh, he has this younger pastor, this young man, Timothy, who he's been investing in, who he's brought along with him on his missionary journeys as he did his tent making and all of these things. He brought young Timothy along with him, but now he has sent Timothy out. Timothy is now being left uh, in another location for the purpose of building up a church there. And so in Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, the apostle Paul says this to him, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see kind of the generational impact? The things that the Apostle Paul taught to Timothy, he tells Timothy to teach those to other faithful people who will in turn teach other faithful people. And that is literally how the gospel made it from Jesus to us. I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't at any of Jesus' sermons. I just wasn't there. I don't know what I was doing. I was probably busy being pre-born and whatnot. I just wasn't there. No, the things I have learned, I learned from other faithful believers in Jesus Christ. Now, let me share with you just the coolest story that I can think of because it happened yesterday and that's what makes it so cool. Um, I have told you many times the story about how when I was first trying to figure out this Christianity thing, I had found the Gideon's New Testament. I started praying every day for salvation. Eventually, God got sick of hearing the same prayer, so he sent a believer into my life, uh, my friend Scott in high school would invite me to spend the night at his house on Saturday night. And then on Sunday morning, when we were about to go to bed, his mom would break into the room and say, we're going to church. And it was from their ministry to me that I ended up going to North Cheyenne Baptist Church here in Cheyenne. And then from that, I was able to be baptized. I was married in that church. I was then sent to Southwest Baptist University from that church. It was all through that that then got me involved in ministry, and that's why I'm here today. So this week, I get a phone call from Scott's mom. I haven't seen her since 1996. Know nothing about her. 
she's in town for a funeral at North Cheyenne Baptist Church. Well, I had the men's thing yesterday. I had young marrieds last night. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make this fit. So I go to the funeral. And there was something in me that was so powerfully overwhelmed to see this family who invested in me all those years ago. And then scattered throughout that funeral were all these other people who also knew Pastor Sean the squirrely kid. This young, dumb kid in youth group that knew nothing and was probably just a a disruption and a clown. And what was cool was the reason they called me when they came to town, they met with some of their old friends and all of their old friends kept saying to them, you're not going to believe what happened to Sean Sells. And she finally called me because she said, I hadn't intended to. We were just going to come into town for the day uh, from Oklahoma. We're going to come to town for the day. We're going to go to the funeral and we're going to get out of town. That's what their intent was. And yet for them to be able to see that this squirrely kid that they invested in is now investing in other squirrely people so that they can invest in other squirrely people, it's powerful. Here was the other thing that was awesome to me. The pastor that did my baptism and did my wedding, his last official job at the church was my wedding. He had already been fired. They allowed him to use the building to do my pre-approved wedding before they sent him out of town. He did the funeral yesterday. And there he was, my pastor that baptized me back in the 90s to be able to see him still faithfully ministering thinking about how many other people he baptized over the years that he invested in, that multiplicative effect. Here's what was really cool. As I was telling him about ministry, he said, well, you will not believe what happened to me after I got fired from here. (laughs) He said, I was 52 years old. I had just been fired from a church, and I decided it might be a good time for me to go to seminary. (laughs) So at 52 years old, he decides it's time to go to seminary. He comes out of that seminary convinced that the only way to teach the Bible is verse by verse. And that's what he's now doing. And he said since that time, uh, what he has done, he actually works for the North American Mission Board, and his job is to go into churches where the pastor has failed or has died or something traumatic has happened to the pastor and they're without a pastor. And it's his job to do the very thing I got to do here to be the next guy. It's just, it's just cool to see just that generational impact, how all of those things kind of work together. You guys are going to see that. Already, I think many of you probably already have. Certainly some of the older ones have already seen some of these people that you invested in years ago coming back and telling you that they're thankful for what you thought at the time maybe was just a little investment, just a small thing. All we did was deceive you into going to church. What you did was deceive me into going into a faithful life of following Jesus Christ. The things that I have taught you teach to other faithful people who will in turn teach them to other faithful people. Here was the other thing that happened at that funeral that was kind of cool. The gal whose funeral it was was the children's ministry director of that church for something like 20 years. The mom, who was my friend's mom, she went up and spoke and said, this is the woman who taught me how to do children's ministry, and now I'm the children's ministry director at my church. 
And then after the service, another woman came up to that mom and said, you were my mentor in children's ministry, and that's why I now do children's ministry at my church. That generational picture of discipleship. It's so much more than just what you can hear from me. I can only take us so far. But what you guys can do for and with each other and then for and with future generations is so powerful to the kingdom of God. You guys really are. You really are. The future, the bedrock, the foundation of the church that is built on Jesus Christ. Let me take you to another passage. Uh, I'm going to take you to the... uh, uh, let's see, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is uh, right at the end of a very interesting passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about some of the difficulties they have. Uh, they are, they're having to try to figure out how to balance this issue of uh, the, the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ The fact that they are no longer under the law, but that the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So they have this great freedom, and yet they live in a society that is full of idolatry. And so the Apostle Paul goes through to try to teach on those things. At the beginning of chapter 10, uh, he explains to them how, hey, the Old Testament is all full of examples of people who fell into idolatry. Don't do what they did. Don't be like them. It's it's just full of of the failed examples. He goes on to express then how he views it, this idea of eating meat sacrificed to idols. This is how I see it. This is how I do it. And then he says this in chapter 11, verse 1. To finish that section up, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. I don't know if you've thought through this process, but Jesus would often say to people, come follow me. And so we as Christians like to think of ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. But the real pattern that is established in Scripture is that we follow people who have been faithful examples of following people have been faithful examples of following people have been faithful examples of those who followed Jesus Christ. So we follow Jesus Christ, yes, but we do that by following the examples that we see around us of people who faithfully follow Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. Paul says, be an imitator of me as I follow Jesus Christ as I have of Jesus in the same way that I did. And so what he's doing in this section here where they're struggling with how to live in in a society that they have spiritual freedom and yet it's still an idolatrous society, Paul's teaching to them is basically this, well, just do it like I did. He gives the example there at the end of chapter 10, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, But I understand this, or I would make the assumption anyway, that when he says these things, that for them, they would actually be able to remember how he did this in his life. So when he gets to this in verse 11, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ, there's an expectation 
that they would have, have been able to see how he dealt with these things so that they could learn to deal with them themselves. Uh, this idea of, of following other people's examples is all throughout Scripture. I don't have time to read all of them, so I'll just read uh, the passage references. If you like to write things down in high speed, you're welcome to do this. Uh, this is not a sales commercial, so I'm not going to do it in uh, Joe Asuzu speed or whatever that guy is. That's... But uh, I will say them fairly quickly. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You see it in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. You see it in Philippians 3.17, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, and then again in verse 14 and 16. You see it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. You see it in Luke 6.40. Of course, in Titus 2 is where we were just at. But you see this idea all throughout is that you follow the examples. You follow the examples. It's one of the reasons that people seem to group together with others who have gone through a similar struggle with them. Uh, for instance, if you happen to know, this is one of the cool things that's happened in our church organically over the years, uh, if you happen to have, have noticed this, that we have uh, this interesting group that's formed in our church of women who have been through cancer. And the way that happened is, one gal made it through, and then another gal found out she had cancer. And they just kind of linked up. And then another gal finds out she has cancer. And then they link up. And they become this kind of encouragement to one another. I've already seen an example of how to go through this in somebody else. And now I'm going through it. i got to talk to that person who's already been there and done that. Same thing happens with parenting, Right? Uh, maybe this is not the right way to do this, but it sure seems to have worked for us. Sometimes I look around when I was a brand new dad. I don't know why I went like that. I wasn't that tall. My kids were short. I was, this, I was actually about an inch taller, but I would kind of look around for the families who had kids that were seemingly okay. And then I just started hanging around those families. Like, I wonder how they did that. I want my kids to be seemingly okay. <laughs> I just found other examples of, of godly husbands and godly fathers. And I kind of hung out with them. And Sheila did the same thing. This was a beautiful thing that I've seen happen in her life where there was this group of older women in the church, been there, done that women in the church, who just would invite her to be a part of their things. And so now it's this crazy thing as those older women continued to get older where Sheila will get invited to these birthday parties with women that are 20 years older than her. But it's cool. It's just really cool. And of course, the challenge for Sheila then is who are those women 10, 15, 20 years younger than her that she can invest in? That's why Sheila and I are doing the young marrieds now. We're old marrieds, apparently. 25 years in July, is that old? It doesn't seem old. I still feel like I'm that high school kid. But we can invest in them because we've been there and done that. We've made the mistakes. We've learned some things. We can pass some of those things on. It's that mentality. It's that idea that the things that God has taught you, he didn't teach you just for you. 
He taught you so you can teach other people. So uh, let me talk about this in a very practical sense now. That's all cool. It's all theological. It's some great examples or whatever. I want to talk about this in a very practical sense. What I would really like to see in our church is a number of people, I don't know what that number is, but people who feel called to this type of ministry by God to look at their group of friends and families both inside and outside this church. Maybe it's your co-workers, whatever it is, but to think to yourself, who are a couple of people that I can invest in? And before you might have come to this and said, you know, I don't really know if I even have anything to say to these folks. I don't know if I know enough about the Bible to deal with this. This is where it gets, for you guys, I hope, really simple. This is what I would have you do. Contact a handful of people and see who's willing to get together and say, hey, how would you like to get together for coffee once a week and just talk about the Bible? Now, here's the trick that if they're not from this church, they don't know. This is where we're tricking them. This is the important part. You've got to know how to trick them or it never works, right? This is the deal, though. You spent the last week reading that passage. You just heard a sermon on that passage. You likely know that passage now better than them. So you get together with them for a cup of coffee and say, hey, what has God been telling you through his word recently? Now, if they're an unbeliever, they're going to say, what has who been saying where now? But if they're going to any other church in town or even to this church, likely they'll remember something from either their devotions or from their actual sermon on a Sunday morning. Likely they'll remember something and it sparks a conversation. And then you say to them, well, this is what I'm learning in the Word. Again, you're ready to go because you spent a week in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. And then you heard a fairly okay sermon on it on Sunday morning. You're ready to go. So now you share with them the things that you're learning. You're learning from them. They're learning from you. And then after you go through that, you ask this next question. Okay, you've learned those things. What does God want you to do about it? How is this what you've just learned going to change who you are? Now you begin to hold them accountable for those things. If they say, well, God has told me that I need to be more loving, you write that down. The next time you get together for coffee, you say, so how's that being more loving thing going? You begin to spur one another on to greater things. Uh, then you say, well, if that's what's going on in your life, is there anything else going on in your life? You have good stuff, bad stuff? And they tell you those things. And then you tell them those things. Again, because it's mutual. You might think you're the more mature person until you meet with them. You might find out that they're discipling you. They've been praying for six months that God would show them an opportunity that they can help you grow in your faith. But you get into these situations where you begin to exhort and encourage and spur one another on. And then when you're about done with your cup of coffee, you say, can we just pray about that? And you just take a minute before you leave. Now you might think it's weird to pray at a coffee shop, but I can just tell you I've seen it, I've done it. I've prayed at Lowe's, I've prayed at Sam's Club, and it's kind of this crazy thing. Christians come out of the woodwork if you pray in, pray in public. 
also if you play in public. But if you pray in public, Christians will come out of the woodwork. You'll find people that will just randomly walk by you. I was praying with a, a family at Lowe's one time, and somebody, I have no clue who it was, as we said amen, they looked back and said, thank you for doing that. And I thought, were they listening? But it was for me, it was just this, this moment of being built up and encouraged. We have this men's Bible study. I don't go to it, but on Monday mornings uh, at uh, Perkins. When I do go there, the waitress that serves them knows me. And she talks about how faithful they've been to be working through the Bible and praying together. They've been ministering to her as they minister to one another. Now, maybe you're not ready to go to Starbucks and pray. Turns out you can make coffee at home. Or you can do what I do, which is never touch coffee because it doesn't taste good. You could buy a 12-pack of Coca-Cola. And you can invite somebody to your house. And you can sit around and you can have these very simple conversations. You just, this is the way you do it. This is, again, if, if we're looking for deception, this is the way. Because this is how it happened to me one time. <laughs> I went to a friend's house to watch the national championship football game. I'm like, this is awesome. They want to watch the national championship football game. And so I get there about 10 minutes before the game's supposed to start. And I'm like ready to go. And they start this in-depth conversation, this detailed, like important conversation. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the game's about to kick off. And so I think about five minutes after kickoff, they realized I was getting nervous. And they said, just so you know, we're DVRing it so we can skip through the commercials. And so for the next 45 minutes, we talked about this very important thing that was happening in their life. They tricked me into free counseling is what they did. <laughs> but then the game was so much more exciting when I could fast forward through the commercials. That was awesome. But it's just these very simple ways that you can ask these very simple questions. And I'm, I'm literally saying they can be that simple. Now, I'm going to try to help you guys have that mindset, but what I'm saying is invite others to join you. For believers, this spurs them on to great things. The part I've struggled with, is this type of discipleship evangelistic? I've decided that it actually can be. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, uh, I'll just turn there real quick. This was um, a pretty simple thing. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, had heard about Jesus. And in verse 41, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, there's this very simple thing that's happening there. I believe that the Word of God is what builds and encourages faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. So if you can convince a couple of non-believers to get together and say, do you ever wonder what this whole Bible thing is about? Let's skip the awkward singing part with all the other people at church, and let's just get together, and we'll just take a chapter a week out of a book of the Bible, and we'll just talk about it. And as they come and see the Lord, in His Word, I believe it can be evangelistic. Now, you have to be ready. They're going to have questions. 
Good thing is you spent the last week reading that passage and you've already heard a sermon about it. You're a step ahead. It can be evangelistic, but also be prepared three weeks into it, they might say, yeah, this isn't for me. That's the other thing I think that Jesus did well. Some of us have this fear that if we share the truth with somebody, they reject it, and that's the end of the story. Jesus was just so diligent to share the truth regardless of the outcome. And maybe it didn't bear fruit in that moment, but years down the road, I think it does bear fruit. I think it does become powerful. So it can even be more than just encouraging other believers. You can even use this in a very simple evangelistic way of just saying to people, hey, come and see. Now, once they realize, man, you know this Bible stuff pretty good, you go, well, this is the deal. We do this every Sunday at our church. Come and see. And then you can invite them to church. And then they know your trick. They know what you've done to them at that point. Wait a second. That's the passage we're supposed to talk about next week. You dirty dog. But it invites them into the Word, and the Word does its work. Again, I'm not asking you to have an intense Bible study where you've got 21 questions pre-figured out covering the key doctrines of the faith. You've got it all figured out. That's intimidating to some of you. But if you can ask four simple questions, what is God saying to you in the Word? What are you going to do about it? What else is going on in your life? How can I pray for you? Man, you've made good progress in discipleship. You've invited them to follow you as you follow Christ. They're going to grow through it, and you're going to grow through it. Now, I do want to help you with this, because I always assume when I preach something, there's going to be a handful of people that are like, I'm ready to go now. Bring it on. So, June 5th, 6 p.m., I'm going to start a disciple maker class that's just designed to help you to lead little groups like this with the intent that during that class, you will be praying about, as you learn how to do this, you'll be praying about who you're going to invite to do this with. And it may be a group of two people, it may be a group of six people, but the idea is that you would invite a couple of people to join with you into these very small discipleship-based groups where you take what you're already learning on Sunday morning, what you're reading through throughout the week, and you just begin a discussion on these things. It's going to be a short class, and by short, I mean I'm starting it at 6 so that I have a hard deadline of church starts at 7. It's intentional like that because I don't want this to always feel like it's going to be this big intimidating thing. I want us to realize just how simple it is to have a gospel-centered conversation with anybody at lunch, in the break room, any portion of your life at the commercial break with your kids. It's surprising how much discipleship can happen when something really bad happens on TV that you're wishing your kids had not just seen. Hey, let's talk about what our family believes about that. And, you know, delete that channel. (laughs) It's just so simple. And I just want to help you guys do that. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up online. You got your little phone. Just go to our church webpage. Uh, it's calvarychapelcheyenne.org. 
Uh, I think this is working right now, uh, but if you also, I just uh, uh, set this up recently. Just type in Cheyenne.church and see if it brings up our webpage. I was working on that. I don't remember if I finished it now that I said it out loud. But it works, says Aaron. Yeah, just type in Cheyenne.church because I was thinking Calvary, Chapel, Cheyenne. That's a lot to type in. Cheyenne.church and bring it to our website. On our front page, scroll down to the events, click on events, and it shows you all the different things you can register. One of them is discipleship class. And we'll just meet up at the Annex on Wednesday nights for a while and just kind of work through this process. We'll practice what it's like to be in a little discipleship group and, and talk about some of the things that could happen, some of the bad stuff that you might have to deal with, and then how to get it going. And then when you teach people, you would teach them with the intention that they would do the same thing with other people. The things that were entrusted to you, you entrust to other faithful people who will teach them to other people. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am, uh, I'm personally excited. I don't know if it's going to be one person or a hundred people that are going to kind of catch this breeze. Uh, but Lord, I believe that you uh, intend to and can use this generationally uh, to impact a number of lives. And I can say that as a matter of experience. As somebody has invested in me, and then I got to see their pride and their joy to see me now investing in other people. And Lord, I know that those days are happening for me as well, where I get to see people I've invested in, investing in other people. And I'm going to see that generationally going forward, Lord. I'm excited to see what you do with this as we try to now put just a little bit of structure uh, to the unstructured things we've been doing in ministry here in the past. Father, we thank you. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close.